0: So let's pray and then we'll begin. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this time uh, that we can worship you. Lord, as we've um, been singing to you, Lord, and uh, praising you for who you are, thanking you, Lord, for um, who we are in Christ, what you've done on our behalf. Lord, knowing that your mercy has been so great. It's um, it's an overwhelming thing uh, to think of what you've withheld from us and what you've given to us in Christ. And so father, now, as we continue uh, our study through first Peter, I pray Lord that you would, um, that your spirit would illuminate the meaning of this text. Lord, help us to see its importance, how it fits in um, the overarching theme of Peter. Um, Lord, how it applies to us at, at, at our church here or, or whatever church we go to, Lord, that we would, um, Lord, that we would walk away today closer to you, um, encouraged, um, Lord, help us, um, to be the people that you desire us to be. Um, Lord, we're all in different places. And so father, I pray that you would just reach down now and, in your sovereignty and your provision and, and Lord help each one of us. And it's in Christ's good name. We pray. Amen. First Peter chapter five, verse one. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. And a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will refl- you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now. In Christ's good name we pray, amen. <coughs> One of the things that we do here as a church is we, we teach sort of a book of the Bible at a time. It's referred to as expository preaching. It, um, it forces me to teach things that I wouldn't, if I was, if it was up to me to sort of select what we would teach on, on Sundays, there are certain things that just would never come up. I would never choose certain passages. Um, This is one of those passages that I kind of would, I would not choose for a Sunday morning. Not that it's wrong. This is a, this is a great passage for like a pastor's conference or, or, or or something. It's kind of instruction to the elders amongst the church. And so I've been um, a very encouraging passage for me over the last sort of 10 days, um, I find it unusual, uh, the the timing in which it came up. I have been struggling. One of the questions I ask every Sunday when I preach that sort of haunts me um, throughout the week, and then it builds like Saturday night as I'm, as I'm going to sleep is the question that I'm always wrestling with is, so what? <laughs> so what? That's the question I asked at church for when I was forced to go as a kid. I just, what's, so I didn't, what's the big deal? And this is one of those that's like, okay, so what? Like, this is a great passage for Pastor Ben and I to hear or any other elder. I know Rick is an elder, at a certain, wherever, here, right in front of me, he would have punched. Uh, uh, and there are probably more. Um, and wrestling, well, how? Did, what about the local church? Now, the thing that's, Within the context, this is not a pastoral epistle. And I do believe it's important for us as a church for the body of Christ. The pastoral epistles were sort of letters that were written from one older pastor to a younger pastor where God gives clear instructions on sort of the rule or the highlight of how a pastor is to sort of function. Now, the thing that strikes me about this is this is a letter that's written. If we could go to the next slide here real quickly, just to sort of cover it. Peter was written by the Apostle Peter while he was in Rome, which is at the top left of of the screen. Um, That's Italy. You can see the boot. He found himself in Rome. Uh, During this time of the writing, Nero had come into power. Nero was a a crazy, brutal, wicked, evil man. Um, He he would wreak havoc on the early church. He would bring about the execution of, of most of the apostles, um, he tried to, uh, tried to, uh, an, tried to execute the apostle John. He's the only one that survived, uh, but because he survived being boiled in a vat of either oil or water, he was so superstitious that he basically exiled him. And, and so this wrath towards the early church was coming. Many of the early Christians would, would suffer their death, um, for their, their following and identifying with Christ. Um, Peter wrote. There's question in in the scholarly world of the timing of this. Did was Peter writing of of the sense that the storm of Nero had already sort of gone over the world, or was it coming? We, we don't really know. Um, but Peter knew the wrath that was coming. So down here to orientate yourself. Here's Jerusalem. Here's Israel. You followed up around. This is modern day Turkey. At the beginning of Peter. We see um, these arrows are pointing to different regions which in within modern-day Turkey. Um, these, are, th- these are the believers that this letter is written to. The, the focus, the heart of Peter is, real, is is living for Christ, how to how to live under immense persecution and pressure. It's written as sort of a general letter to, to the church at large. And so as we come to this passage, he, he hones in on, on this teaching towards elders or pastors or bishops or overseers. These words are all sort of interchangeable towards the role of what we in our culture sort of identify as pastor. And so it's interesting to me that he didn't sort of write a section. Um, hey, this part, everybody tune out. This is just for the elders amongst you. But it's sort of this description to the, to the elders, and he's saying it amongst everybody so that everybody can read it. Um, this week, the last 10 days have been extremely trying on me. Um, I, I am not at all, like I'm going to say this multiple times, I am not at all complaining. I am so thankful and humbled and honored to serve in the capacity that I serve. Um, I love being a pastor here. I love being a pastor at, uh, overall. I have too many pastors that complain, and they probably shouldn 't be doing what they 're doing quite frankly um, but this this last ten days it 's my has been i 've been in the pressure cooker in a lot of ways. Some very heavy stuff has come up that i can 't talk openly about. Last Wednesday, it started at a meeting at I had a meeting down in Escondido. As I'm going there, my phone vibrates, and I see Code 11. Code 11 is a pretty sweet code. That means there's a SWAT call out. So I'm like, all right. So I I do my meeting. I head to the SWAT call. Um, and and so while I'm at the SWAT call waiting for the story to develop, um, there's two more senior officers there, and they say, hey, Gunnar, we... Um, we've been sort of been instructed to um, to basically take our units, all the lieutenants, to the whole department, and we have to do a class on suicide to help with um, helping with officers deal with stress and strains and and the, the rise of suicide within law enforcement. And so I said, well, I'd be happy to do it. It's next Wednesday. I'll sign up. And so from that moment, um, things. Over the last ten days, there's been significant weighty um, events um, as a pastor that I that it's it's an amazing thing to be in this role and to be there for people um, during this time um, there's been uh, of all weeks there's been like a ton of phone calls of, of people so there, there probably were like fifteen or ten th- I've, i don't know how many exactly things sort of happened. Um, people calling for advice, people calling for waiting and stuff, going to the emergency room a couple times, just all kinds of stuff. And then I was asked to do of all uh, this week. Then I was asked if, if I could do two weddings in the upcoming year. And I'm sort of shaking my head going, man, this has been like the last 10 days has been the most like the, you know, somebody pressed the red button on like pastoral need in the last. And so I've been like, I'm like, okay, Lord, you're giving me all sorts of like illustrations and like understanding my role in all of this. And in the midst of all of this week, Thursday, I find out I had to scold Ben. I called him to yell at him that there was that he didn't let me know. He's like my go-to guy on Christian circles, everything that's going on. He's way more um, up on things than I am. But I find out like a huge heavyweight name, huge guy in the pastoral ministry resigned from his church not for a moral failing, not for um, financial things. It was shocking to me. And then I also, the same time I receive a letter in the mail, an invitation from my buddy's church in Texas, Um, they're going to celebrate his 20 year anniversary. So I have this like shocking event of a pastor who I never thought would resign from the ministry. Then I have my other friend who's been plugging along and doing well. And so there's been a lot of, talk about the pastoral ministry, and I stumbled across some statistics. I have no idea if these statistics are, I don't know where they came from. I don't know, like, I don't know, I don't know exactly how accurate they are or exactly how they measure them, but they seem to align with every statistic I've seen on the pastoral ministry um, from other places. And so again, I want to re-emphasize: I'm not saying this, to, I am thankful, I'm thankful I, I understand some of these things. I don't feel like this is, describes my life, but I read this more as like a warning for us as a church because this is very common. So on surveys of pastors and their families, these are some statistics that have been reported over the years. 90% of pastors feel they are inadequately trained to cope with the ministry demands. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. of pastors feel fatigued and overwhelmed each week. 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. 80% of spouses feel feel the pastor is overworked. 70% of pastors feel grossly underpaid. 80% of spouses feel left out and underappreciated by church members. 70% do not have someone they consider a close friend. 56% of pastors' wives say they have no close friends. 40% report serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. 50% of ministers starting out will not last five years. 80% will quit after 10 years. Maybe the most shockingly, one out of every 10 minister will actually retire as a minister in some form. Over 1,700 pastors left the ministry each month last year. 40% of pastors and 47% of spouses are suffering from burnout, frantic schedules, and or unrealistic expectations. 45% of pastors say that they've experienced depression or burnout to the extent that they needed to take a leave of absence from ministry. 75% report severe stress causing anguish, worry, bewilderment, anger, depression, fear, and alienation. 80% of pastors say they have insufficient time with their spouse. 90% work more than 50 hours a week. 94% feel under pressure to have a perfect family. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry each month due to burnout, conflict, or moral failure. Doctors, lawyers, clergy are professions that have the most problems with drug abuse, alcoholism, and suicide note that all three have careers that to do with helping uh, people with problems. My point to all of this is not to say well like woe is me like I am I'm actually really thank I am thankful. I know that when Ben and I talk like he even coming here he's like well this is like the most healthiest church I've ever been a part of. I'm I'm thankful to serve um, I'm thankful to be here. This is my church family. When I take vacation or I take time off, I come to church, not because I'm a pastor. I still come to church because this is my church. Um, so I, I read this not as sort of a woe is me. I read this sort of with a... To, to look at the landscape of of, of Christianity and pastors and, and, and the strain that is put on them... It's a sobering thing, and to recognize for me personally, and I think Ben would agree, like I truly, I want to go the distance in the ministry. Like I feel God has called me, and most pastors I know have called them to the ministry, and so it's important for churches to understand the role of the elder, how does the whole church structure fit, and And so this is why I think Peter sort of um, places this here. And so I hope that there's a so what in all of this that that you could answer so what and say, well, this is actually important for me as a Christian because I believe that it is. The very first word um, is therefore. Uh, In reading on a a number of how this Greek word was translated to therefore... um, well, that, there's not really a, a, a terrible translation issue, but a lot of the translators have a hard time figuring how does this section connect with the previous section. Um, the, the, the NIV actually does not put the, the therefore in there because they're not they had a hard time figuring it out. Um, I, I believe it makes a lot of sense if we were to sort of back up a couple weeks, we would go to. F- First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 10, a few verses up. And in that section, Peter begins challenging the, the Christians to sort of <clears throat> depart from your old life. Stop living the way the pagans live. You, you had enough time living that way. Um, turn from evil and do good. And then in verse 10, he says, as each has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards in the manifold grace of God. And sort of the idea that if you're a Christian, if you're following after Christ, you've been given a spiritual gift, that the body of Christ, your local church, absolutely needs you to serve and to function. This is not, Christianity is not an hour on Sunday. It's that you are a part of a living, functioning body that you as a Christian, God has gifted you. And the body of Christ, your local church that you go to, needs you to be involved and to serve. Right from there, going into verse 12, going from this call to serving, there's this warning about, don't be surprised. Verse 12, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal amongst you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Peter begins to go and explain suffering. And how do we as Christians handle suffering in light of following Christ? I think the doctrine of suffering and pain is is a doctrine that every Christian needs to have a good handle on. We all hear the question, I know I asked the question in my days before I was a Christian, how can there be a good loving God if there's so much pain and sorrow? Well, it's a question that can be answered and can be understood. And so from dealing with all of this pain and sorrow, it makes perfect sense that in the midst of all of these people who are hurting and sorrowful, how do you minister to them? And so we could continue from verses five through seven, where it, it talks about like some beautiful verse about casting your anxiety upon him and, and really finding hope. Um, but the pastor here, I think is important. There's so many churches and I don't, or maybe it's my perception not being a believer or believer at the time, I'm a believer now, but back when I was not a believer, my impression was that when you went to church, it was, it was a place where you had to comb your hair, tuck in your shirt, put on your smiley face, act like everything was going okay. And then real superficial. And then you would leave and you go back to the real world and you did your hour of, of uh, penance and suffering for the Lord sort of thing by sitting through church. And, But then as I've become a Christian and as I've grown in my faith, I've come to understand church as um, an illustration I've used many times in the past. I like it, so I'll keep using it. Is I, I really identified the church with more of a combat situation. Um, back in my military life, if you were on something and you basically had an engagement, not for a wedding, um, but contact with the enemy... Once you could secure yourselves and get to a safe position that's relative, you get away and you kind of get in a circle of perimeter. And the officer and radio guy, which I was, we would go around and check on the men who were there. And the question is, are you okay? Like, like you don't ask the question. It's like, are you okay and how many bullets do you have left? How many magazines are left? And so the response is this and like two magazines or I'm shot or something and we need to start triaging and see, that picture is really what church is about. This isn't a place where we come and get all phony and act like, oh, I got everything all okay. We ask, how are you doing? I'm doing good. No, I'm doing horrible, man. I need prayer. I'm really struggling. This is a place where we come and encourage sort of, you're out of bullets? Well, we don't use bullets here in church. So we, like, let me pray for you. Let me help you. Let me, like, let, let me come along your side. Let me love on you. Let me help you through this. And I believe that this begins at the top. And, and so this whole, like wherever you end up at church for the rest of your life, if Valley Baptist Church is your church, great. If you're passing through from Seattle, great. But this applies to like at your church too. It's all like the body of Christ is the body of Christ. And so he says, therefore, in light of this suffering that your followers are going through, I exhort the elders among you. And right there, this first sends about Peter it like warms my heart, and I hope that I can convey it to you. Here is Peter, an apostle, one of Jesus' closest, like of the disciples, there were three. Peter was one of the three that was most intimate with Jesus. He, he was allowed to see things that the other apostles weren't allowed to see as the church began. He he led the early church at Pentecost, And so when he begins, he says, I exhort the elders among you. So he's encouraging a whole crowd like this. But then he calls out the elders that are amongst the crowd. And he says, I want to exhort them, which means to plead with them, to encourage them, to to beg them, to, to, to encourage them to do a couple of things. There's going to be three instructions. But then Peter, the apostle, who could have sort of, lorded it over them, have, have could come down them firmly. I've showed you the map. He's a Jewish guy. He's now speaking to a predominantly Gentile crowd that are elders that are not Jewish, that are grafted into the body of Christ. And he says, as your fellow elder. He doesn't say as the head elder. He says, I'm linking arms with you brothers. Like, as your fellow elder, as one of you, I want to encourage you. I've done and been where you are. And God needs us to function as he's called us. He says, and witness of the sufferings of Christ. He goes back to he was there at the cross. He was there through his suffering. And he says that the partaker and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. If you'd shoot back up to verse 13 of chapter 4, you'd see, but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation, which is a really funny word, which if you guys missed it last week, you missed it. But it comes with appropriate, uh, there's like language of worship and an appropriate body movement, which seemed weird to me. But then if you have a dog, it kind of all comes clear. Like there's like excitement of when they... And so Peter says, I'm just a fellow partaker with you. And so in verses two and three, he goes into three commands. He, he says, number one, shepherd the flock, exercising oversight and proving to be examples to the flock. So those are the three commands. And then there's a bunch of uh, triggers sort of of how do you go about doing these things? Or more importantly, I think not how do you do, but what's the attitude as you go about functioning in these capacities, carrying out these three things. And you'll notice words like not and but. These contrasting statements, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, not for sort of gain, but with eagerness, nor is lording over those, but proving to be. And we'll look at the contrasting statements later. I want to start with these three commands. The the first phrase here that we see is shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock of God is number one sort of important thing that jumps out at me. The, The church, the people that are here, you are not my sheep. No pastor owns the people. They are not his people. They are Christ's people and we are under shepherds of Christ. We're... We're laborers for Christ. We're responsible to him for his sheep. And I think he begins with this great sort of, as you shepherd, as you care for your people, there's a great exhortation of the, the, the responsibility and weight that rests upon you as an elder. In our new members class, one of the things that I always bring up is Hebrews 13, 7. I'm going to chop out the edges and I'm just going to read the middle part right now. We'll come back to the whole thing later. But the author of Hebrews says this concerning the elders. They keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. I remember becoming a pastor. Like the first time I saw that as a, as a pastor, I remember thinking, man, I like, I had a hard enough time keeping track of my own soul and my own, like, and I, like, so in the reality that I'm going to stand before God one day and any person who, that was a part of the flock of God that I had a responsibility of caring for, there's going to be some, I have, I have to shepherd y'all with this weight of knowing that when I stand before him, I'm going to give an account for your souls. Which I can assure you, that's a a, a slightly terrifying thing. Um, it's a sobering thing. This is not a game. I, um, I know I, you know, I'm the first always joke. You know, it's always Sunday. It's the one day a week I work, which is just a total joke. Like, and there may be pastors who operate like that. But, but this is a calling. This is a privilege to, to be able to serve and to shepherd and to care for. Like, what is shepherding? Well, There's feeding. And especially in my capacity, I am super uber, like, teaching the word of God is critical. This time that we have on Sundays, where we teach through the scriptures, this, this this is so important. We cover things that I would never choose to speak on. But God has laid out in a way, and this is how we stay healthy. Like, there's a shepherding, and everything we do, Bible studies, getting together, when we meet with people, like, the whole... The word of God has 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 a preeminence in our lives. This is how we feed, this is how we grow, this is how God begins to convict us and shape our thoughts and minds and and guiding us on the path. There's caring for individuals. Like I really think it's fun, like since Ben's been around we've been doing this like dance. Um like how how do we like now that there's two pastors at the church, how, how do we shepherd as a team? And it's often in time of crisis that both of us appear. Like we'll both be there. And it's not be, like you think, oh, well, we'll tag team I'll go and you can come later. But there's sort of that this, this caring that the, that the elders should care and I love when I respond to something and I say, oh, Ben, you don't have to go. But he's like, no, 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 I'm an, I'll be there. And I think that that's the heart of an elder. Of, as you shepherd, that means you care and you have concern, you have love. You want to help guide the sheep. You want to protect the sheep. At times there's disciplining of the sheep. With your children, you discipline. and it's not. It's in love. You're trying to help them. And I think ultimately in all of this section on elders that I can assure you some of the things that I as a pastor care most about are like your walk with Christ. Do you know him as your savior? Are you walking with him faithfully? and i will like my family and i like my wife is totally like like we care immensely about your spiritual walk with god and we will go out of our way to do whatever we can do to help you on your journey with christ there is no like greater thing to me as a human being than than where you are with christ and how you're walking and so there's there's this shepherding the flock of god among you take it seriously Then he goes to this other angle, this whole exercise, exercising oversight, which the longer that I'm a pastor, this has been this area of. I don't want to say growing tension, but it's shepherding the flock, exercising oversight. These two things are very different. I've heard it described as there's an aspect of pastoring or shepherding that deals with the individual and caring for the individual And then there's the other aspect of shepherding that that cares for the whole flock. You know, Jesus tells the example of like the one sheep that goes away, he'll go out and do the whole thing. But then there's the other, like when you go to the Middle East and you actually see shepherds, there's a whole sort of like, okay, we got to keep all these guys out of the freeway. We got to keep them in food. We got to keep their overall health. And so there's this balance for as shepherds of individuals trying to help them and con- help you have a spiritual gift. Let's get, let's get going. Let's start serving. Let's do something. People get involved in ministries. They get very passionate about ministries. I support the ministries. But then there's also like the, well, I support you doing this, but that's also not the direction of where the church is going. So then there's like this whole, well, you've got to lead the church, and there's sometimes tension between the two. This exercising over this... This exercising oversight of the body. I'll move on for you guys. Um, And then prove to be examples of the flock. We've all heard the saying, some things are better caught than taught. And I do think that the whole teaching, leading people, helping people with their lives, it's, it's all useless if you yourself are not walking the walk. If you'll turn with me over to First Timothy, it's a couple books towards the, the front of the Bible. and in First Timothy chapter three. And in First Timothy chapter 3, this is sort of the instruction of the, the calling and selecting a, of an elder. Before I read this list, I do want to say is we have this propensity as, as a people to say, oh, he's talking about pastors, so I'm going to check out. But I suggest to you that good pastors are good Christians, and so this list really applies to every. Like, it really applies to anybody who's following after Christ. And then, like, the idea is, if you're looking for a pastor, the idea is you want to find somebody who has a good walk with the Lord, and then you know, then they get called sort of in the role. And in this list, I'm going to tell you, there's only one skill that I really see um, that's being examined. Everything else is character. And Paul begins in verse 1, and he says that it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, more pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So in this these are all character character qualities. You can go back to 1 Peter. There's the one the one skill that's required is that they have the ability to teach. But everything else has to do with with character and who they are and if you look at churches looking for a pastor today a lot of it has to do with what degree do you have do you have a bachelor's degree master's degree doctorate degree uh, what what skills have you attained very rarely is the the character of the individual sort of put on uh, open for examination and so here in first Peter chapter five, when he says to prove to be examples with to the flock it's critical that the pastor's life that he is one who is walking with Jesus, following after Jesus, so that he, like Paul, can say, as you see me following after Jesus, follow my example. I will be a reflection to you what the Christian life looks like. And I am so thankful for the men that God has brought in my life. One of them, Billy in the teams, who is not a pastor, but he was placed into a platoon in my life. And there was studying the, the scriptures and me trying to figure out how did Christianity fit in my, my world, And then to see Billy in the midst of this world, living for Christ and watching how he handled different things. It was It taught me more than I could have ever read, read in a book. And so here I think, is why he's so focused on being an example: Your life matters. How you live is important. In these things, he gives a couple instructions that are sort of counterweighted with each other. The first thing he says when you do this, you're not doing it out of compulsion. The word is literally obligation, like, oh, I have to do it. Nobody should be in the ministry because they have to do like, or a pastor. You're in. This is not something that you're forced to do. And if you've ever reached the point where you should, guys should probably step down from the ministry. Like Timothy said, if a man desires to do this, that's a good thing. He says you should do it voluntarily according to the will of God. And I think that there's something to this role as an elder understanding that God has has placed you in this position that you accept the sort of the gravity of, of, of people's lives and how important the care for their souls are. He says not for sordid gain. I don't there are many people out there who use God in their role to make millions of dollars and are doing. They're scamming people under the banner of being a pastor, and 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 you you're. It's not for sort of gain. It does. This isn't at all saying that pastors can't be paid and shouldn't have a have a standard so they can care for your family. This is sort of. I, I think the idea here is. There's a, there's a willingness. Somehow, I think somebody was joking with me. I I There's a website out there, Rent-A-Pastor. Like seriously, like it's, it's you need a wedding, you need a burial, you need something. Like here's our rates for all of our fees. And, and that's not at all, like, not at all. Like yesterday I get a call and... And it's some, it's a grandchild of somebody connected to our church saying, hey, I'd like you to do our I'd like can you do our wedding? I say I'd love to do your wedding and and I'll, that'd be awesome. It's a long way out. We can start talking about premarital counseling. I'll do as much as I can do for you. And there was sort of like the what, what's the fee? I'm like there's no it's this is it's no fee. Like like part of my being a pastor is to care for you in this capacity. Like, it's, it's, this isn't, like, I don't have a fee schedule. Like, well, you get two counseling sessions for 50 bucks, and then we get into the third, it's going to be an extra 50. Then we kind of go, go. It's not at all. It's a, it's just, this understanding the role. It's not for financial gain. It's for caring for people and serving for people and loving people as Jesus loves them, not as lording it over them, I, as a pastor, am not any better than anyone in this room. There are some groups, some organizations where the pastor is so like set up on this pedestal. Even Peter, in his example, Peter, the apostle of Christ, who was basically the founder of the church. As the church exploded at Pentecost, he was the, the instantaneous leader, this guy who was super close with Jesus. And as he talks to these Gentile elders... He addresses himself as a fellow elder. I'm just one of you boys. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I've been plucked out from my little world as a fisherman to serve in this capacity. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And he's our example that we are servants. And it can be an overwhelming load. The, the weight that an elder has upon him at a healthy church who cares and loves his people—the the weight can be overwhelming. And somehow, in Christian circles, we've we've taken it that there's like ministries for the pros, and then you go to church and you do your hour, which is not at all the church, as the Bible describes. If you're a Christian, you're in ministry. I'm a pastor. I'm in ministry because I'm a Christian. I just happen to be a pastor. As I've already pointed out in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Peter has already instructed all of the believers, all of the saints that are reading That if you are a Christian, God has given you a special gift that is desperately needed within the body of Christ. So use it. Get involved. Your church needs you to participate. I look back at Acts, if you'll go with me to Acts chapter 6. As the church is growing, as they're facing tensions, there's so many people, so many needs. And the strain on the elders was, was growing. And so we read at cha- uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, Now at this time while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their wid- wid- widows were not being overlooked in the daily serving of food. This is a very significant problem that has been raised to the apostles and I can see the strain that, that they, or I can feel the strain that they probably felt with this. Here are their native Jewish widows that, that were born and raised in, in Jerusalem. Then you have those that were scattered, the Jews that had been scattered about, took on other cultures. There was sort of some tension between them. They're coming to them because something wasn't handled correctly in the distributing of the food and the needs to these widows. How do you, this is the whole, that, that balance between caring for the flock and caring for the whole of the flock. And so what they do in verse two is, so the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. This is not an arrogance, not, this is more in their calling. Therefore, brethren select from among you, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of the task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this statement found approval with the whole congregation. And so the point of reading that, you can go back to Peter, is we see that there are elders, that there's like God has, the church is his and he's created this structure of, of, of how the church is an organism is, is to function so that it can could most, care for individuals, reach out to the world around it. And the elders went overwhelmed. There was this need. We see this development of of the deacons. And, and I'd go on to say deaconesses, that there's that, that, that the Christian, the body of Christ. There are needs that need to be met. And it takes all of us as a team to get involved and to serve. And then verse four, I'm just going to kind of skim over. I thought this was pretty cool. I had no idea. I always joke. I don't think I'm going to get a crown of anything, but apparently I'm eligible for one. I, uh, and it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Apparently there's a special crown for pastors if they complete the distance. I I kind of view this like if you finish a marathon, everybody gets a medal. I kind of think that's what it's going to be like probably. And um, and so with this, I do, where I want to end is I mentioned Hebrews 13:17. And I want to read it all in context. I I do believe this whole section, the the way to the. This is not a pity party for me. I am like, I'd love and am so thankful to serve as a pastor, to be able to give my life in serving you all for his glory. But I think it's important for all of us to understand how important it is for all of us to be caring and the need. to help and I'm thankful that this is a church where there are so many people who are who are so involved and are there at a moment's notice to help for so many different things. I don't feel like I'm drowning. It's been a busy ten days, but I'm not drown like I'm not drowning. But Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy. And I am thankful that I can honestly say that serving here at this church as a pastor, like I do this with great joy. I am so thankful. And especially when I get around with my other pastor brothers at other churches, there's not always a lot of joy amongst pastors about their church. It says, let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And so when I look at this verse, when I look at the statistics on pastors and what they go through, I think that there's a warning in Scripture for, for a reason and the, the weight of what they do, and there is some responsibility for the churches. So how does a church help the pastor? the so what? I tried I want to end with something practical. And yesterday, as I was sitting and getting distracted, I went over onto Facebook and I saw my buddy I have another buddy pastor who posted this this 20 things that are true about most pastors. And I read, I'm like, man, you just gave me my ending for tomorrow. Thank you. And so this is what the article says. Here are 20 things I believe. Here are 20 things I believe are true about most pastors I know. I hope you will work together with your past pastor for the good of the gospel. And these are the 20 things that this author wanted you to know. He loves God and you a lot. So be mindful. He is a painfully limited human being, so be realistic. He probably has a pretty low view of his quote-unquote performance, so be kind. He wishes he were a better preacher, so be awake. He really does want God's best for you and your family, so be open-hearted. His work knows no time or locational boundaries, so be patient with him. He hears much more negative information than positive, so be encouraging. He has chosen a vocation in life, which few remain, so be praying. He has chosen a highly leadership-intensive call, so be leadable. He needs help, so be available. His God-given vision is bigger than himself and the church, so be faith-filled. He wants to personally meet all the needs, but no, he knows he can't. So be understanding. He's going to say some dumb things every now and again. Amen. Be so be forgiving. His family is patient with you. So be patient with them. He is greatly encouraged by your faithfulness. So be there. He is passionate for God's word to be made practical to you. So be hungry. He longs for church to be your spiritual oasis. So be loving. He dreams for you and your family's spiritual health. So be receptive. He needs to hear that you prayed for him. So be interceding. And number 20, he's just a regular guy. So be real around him. And so I thought that was pretty good to sort of end with this. And I I, I do in looking at this. I I want to end today just by saying I I truly am thankful to be the pastor here and I'm thankful to to serve in this capacity. I know Ben would give an amen to the whole thing. And so um, let's pray. Father, we do. um, Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you are the great shepherd over us all. Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy, your kindness, your gentleness with us. Father, we pray that you would Continue to guide and direct us, Lord, in our lives. Lord, help us um, to live lives that are faithful and are are obedient to you. Um, We thank you, Lord, um, for fellow believers who you have used in each of our lives to lead us along. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would grow closer to Jesus day by day. Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to grow um, and to serve in the gifting that you've called us to. And I pray that you would help us to be an encouragement to one another. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.